Welcome back to Second Helping, your first choice when it comes to podcasts involving the top athletic league in all of collegiate sports. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, joined as always by my great, great friend, Brent Beard, college football analyst for First Coast News, also a longtime voter where the Heisman Trophy is concerned. And Brent, I can't believe we're saying this, the last, last college football action for the month of October for 2021 is upon us, Brent. There really is nothing that goes quicker than football season. Uh, And this year is certainly no exception with that. Uh, But the good thing is for last week and this week, some of these teams get a little bit of time off and abbreviated schedule. But, Trav, still some really important games in the league and obviously around the nation. Yeah, within the league, three of the four games that we get this weekend will have your attention, I think. And they're all absolutely that mid-afternoon to later window, so uh, a lot of good stuff from 3.30 Eastern through those two 7 o'clock Eastern games coming up later in the evening on October the 30th. But Brent, we also have some newsy items we want to get to before we get into previewing these four matchups. Well, I think the first one uh, really is the uh, passing away of Jolie Dunn, uh, who was Trav, one of the most colorful characters, frankly, in SEC lore. Now, I know there are going to be some people listening to us who are asking, who who is he? Uh, but Jolie Dunn was the father of the 335. I think, Trav, there were some times that, that he may have done a uh, uh, you know, even something with a two-man front or even a one-man front at times. But uh, people remember him because of uh, he he wore no socks with those <laughs> penny loafers. And, and Trav had no headset either, did he? No, he did not. <laughs> he did not. Uh, and seldom, I think, wore a belt either. Yeah, so that's right. Joe Lee was a minimalist. Uh, in a lot of ways, <laughs> Coach Dunn was. But you're right. In a lot of ways, an innovator in terms of how he went about the different looks, junk defenses, I think you could call them a lot yeah. of times because they were just a pre-snap look before his teams. And, wow, you talk about a guy who was prolific in terms of coaching around the Southeastern yeah. Conference. Yeah. Uh, he was that guy. Sort of preceded another coordinator that became – really well-known within the league, and John Chavis. And I think Bill Oliver, you throw in that mix back in the 90s as well. But as much as anything, Jolie Dunn was a character without really saying a whole lot. You just like to watch. You (laughs) loved it when the the camera shot would go down to the sideline or wherever Jolie was coaching uh, within the league or elsewhere. And he just looked like. He looked like what an SEC defensive coordinator would look like. Yes. Never in a booth that I recall, down no. on the sideline. You said it, no headset, just coaching football, man. Well, and and listen, people need to realize too, when particularly when he was with Mississippi State. Now, admittedly, they had a lot of JUCO kids, but but Trav, I remember distinctly that. A lot of teams didn't want to play that defense either. I mean, they mm-hmm. they would they were not shy at all uh, 
uh, about being a physical defense uh, during the time that he was there, and what and Trav, what a what a combination with he and Jackie Sherrill during that time, uh, which which frankly w- could we say was easily some of the glory days in Mississippi State. Yeah, we talk about Dan Mullen and the success he had in Starkville, and there's no denying that he was relatively successful for the job there at Mississippi State. Got the Bulldogs to a number one ranking back in the 2014 season. So certainly Dan had his share of success there, but that stretch, you talk about teams you didn't want to play. Yes. Some of those Jackie Sherrill teams with Jolie Dunn, the physicality involved with going against those teams, they had some of those clubs back in the nineties. And uh, you're right. I think when you talk about the golden eras of uh, the small windows that you have for Mississippi state, certainly uh, that union of Jackie and Joe Lee uh, stands out among those. And we certainly send our thoughts and prayers to the Dunn family and, uh, you know, like so many others. So certainly miss Joe Lee Dunn. And again, an era when there were more characters within the yes. league, you had Spurrier, you had Jackie, you even had coordinators like Joe Lee Dunn. And, you know, more and more, you look at the Southeastern conference, Ed Orgeron going to be in a different capacity of some sort after this season, he'll be leaving, the head coaching ranks. I guess when you think about the SEC in 2022, the top of the character list will start with um, we'll start with Mike Leach. I would think. Yeah, yeah, and uh, obviously Mike adds to the lore when he's discussing Halloween candy after the yes. uh, the game last week. So, uh, but 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 that doesn't like that, candy corn, Mike no, Leach. He's very no. much on record. No candy but, corn for Mike. Absolutely. And, and I will say this: uh, the last thing about Jolie Dunn. And just imagine this, Trav. Jolene Dunn said that one thing that he never got to do that he really wanted to do was to, uh, and I don't know how they would have done together, but he wanted to coach with Steve Spurrier. So, Trav, can you imagine Spurrier offensively and Dunn defensively? You know, and there was talk back then, too, of Bill Oliver, perhaps. True. uh, Steve Spurrier at some point. Talk about potential unions there. Yeah, both of those. Uh, would have been something else, no doubt about it. Also, Brent, we learned something uh, about the the, the, the Florida-Georgia series moving forward in Jacksonville specifically. You know, there's been talk in the past. Will it stay on the first coast, the game? Will it eventually go to campus? Uh, it sounds like for the foreseeable future anyway, the near future, uh, Jacksonville will be retaining the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, Lenny Curry, the mayor of Jacksonville, came out a couple of days uh, ago earlier in the week and said that the game would be upped uh, to 2025. Well, he followed that up uh, on Wednesday night late, and, and I'll just read the quote here to clarify my tweet from last night. Our new contract with Florida and Georgia, we are excited this guarantees the game would stay in the city of Jacksonville through 2023, giving the universities the option to extend to 2024 or 2025. Now, obviously, both, uh, particularly Georgia, really would like to have the school, the game on campus. Uh, they say it hurts their recruiting. Uh, I don't buy that because of the way they've recruited the last few <laughs> years by any stretch. Uh, and, but, but Trev, there are, 
and I don't know how many of th- these things are coming into play here, but uh, before or around 2025, Texas and OU would be joining the SEC. A lot of the TV contracts are going to be redone, and the playoff will be expanded by then because a lot of these things are due at that point. So, Trevi, if you put all that in a hat and you bring it out, uh, I'm curious what that will mean in the future for Florida, Georgia, and Jacksonville. Well, and you also look at around college football, Brent, the neutral site games – aren't going to be as abundant. It doesn't Ooh. seem like in the foreseeable future. you got right. teams like Alabama that have been huge proponents of the neutral site games under Nick Saban. They're going with a lot of home and homes. Now, look, um, you know, depending on how the scheduling unfolds, maybe they'll still incorporate both. Maybe they'll still play a neutral site game to go along with a, uh, a home and home or a, uh, that type of situation, non-conference. Ultimately, it comes down to economics. Sure it does. Uh, we can talk about recruiting and all those things. Alabama in a similar boat. Alabama has played neutral site games more years than it has not under Nick Saban. Hasn't hurt Alabama's recruiting to play neutral site games. In fact, I think Nick Saban would argue it's been a, a beneficiary to, to the recruiting efforts of the Crimson Tide. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out down the road. But you're right. It is sort of a confluence in the future of a lot of different things coming together, an expanded playoff, uh, conference expansion, you know, all these inevitabilities that are upon us that could certainly impact neutral site situations like Florida and Georgia. Let's get into the matchups for this weekend, Brent. And we talked about the action in the Southeastern Conference pretty much starting in the mid-afternoon window. That includes Missouri traveling to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. Missouri, from a bowl game perspective, needs this one. Somebody's going to get a conference win, too, by the way. Missouri (laughs) at 0-3 in the league, Vanderbilt at 0-4. I'm guessing we're probably going to both go with Missouri getting off the SEC snide in this one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I'll say this. Vanderbilt has had their moments. Now, we know Vanderbilt is nowhere near where they want to be in the first year under Cart Lee, but they've had some uh, some very close games at the end. Uh, they have played pretty well. Uh, frankly, there's been a few games they they really should have won. Uh, but but now here's what's interesting about this game: Trail Vandy is dead last. Uh, they're one thirty in the nation. Uh, can you imagine this in in the in this era of offensive? Trav averaging 13.2 points per game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's awful. But at the same time, we've got a Missouri defense that uh, is also one of the worst in the nation. So so the question is, what what gives in Nashville on Saturday? Yeah, that is uh, that's the question with this one. And I think when you consider – those offensive numbers for Vanderbilt, if you had a concern about hiring Clark Lee, it was that he is a defensive guy first yes. and foremost. Doesn't mean that eventually Vanderbilt won't field at least a representative representative uh, offense in terms of at least mediocre. But you know that's sort of the narrative that works against defensive guys when they are tabbed to take over situations. I think big picture what Vanderbilt is thinking with Clark Lee is that 
know, this is a guy that's organized. This is a guy that's sharp. And first and foremost, relative to what Vanderbilt can yes. do, they will recruit at a higher, higher level under Clark Lee than they have in previous years. Let's talk about the cocktail party. Uh, it seems like more of the talk, at least, especially with Florida coming off a of bye week in its own right, has been the status of Dan Mullen. You know, we talked about this earlier in the season. It almost has this feel of uh, a married couple that huh. is together yeah. simply because of the kids involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things can change quickly. And certainly a win over Georgia uh, could 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 make things a lot better among that fan base, not only relative to their thoughts on Mullen, but certainly Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator, embattled, I guess, the best way to describe the leadership from the Florida perspective going into this one, Brent? Well, I think two things that uh, Mullen could do uh, to take some pressure off himself, one immediate and one at the end of the season, obviously, would be uh, uh, to play Richardson at quarterback more than he does Emory Jones, uh, just simply because Richardson can make plays and he gives you a bit of a puncher's chance uh, in order if they spread the field and can get it to the receivers. I, Florida's got a really good running back room, but Trev, I don't see them making anything against that Georgia front seven, frankly, at this point. And the other thing that Mulliken can maybe take some pressure off of him would be if he makes that change at defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham's contract is up at the end of the year, and and we may just see a uh, some kind of a comment where uh, Todd Grantham just in, just resurfaces somewhere else uh, during the off season type thing. So, uh, but a a loss they're four and four. Uh, they've got some very winnable games, but but Trev right now it's kind of like at at Kentucky. And also at LSU, uh, even after this Georgia game, do we trust that Florida football team in the month of November? Yeah, that's a tough one uh, when you consider what we've seen to date from Florida. Here's an idea for the Gators on Saturday against Georgia. And I say this in retrospect from the game a year ago when the Gators took out the Bulldogs 44-28, to understanding the personnel is entirely different. But what isn't different is that aforementioned running back room that you Mm -hmm. talked about for the Gators. And in that game a year ago, Brent, between Malik Davis, Naquan Wright, uh, and Damian Pierce, 10 receptions for 212 yards. So if you can't run it against that Georgia defense, you got to try to throw it to these backs because they were devastatingly effective against the dogs a year ago, running those wheel routes, not just check downs. They got running backs down the field against you want to slow down to Kobe Dean and these Georgia linebackers, make them respect these backs. And I'm going to tell you, I know Kirby smart is going to do that. They understand better than anybody. They have last year's tape. Now here's where the problem comes in for Florida. Uh. Yeah. Some of the stuff that Florida was a- able to do a year ago with those backs took some time to develop. Oh, yes. And that's where I don't know if Florida is going to be able to protect well enough. And no. then you got to have a quarterback that can accurately deliver the football like Kyle Trask was able to. So, again, this is understanding personnel change. 
but I'll be surprised if Davis, Wright, Pierce, even the tight ends with Gamble, uh, aren't heavily involved from the outset in the passing game, a way to slow down those line Because Nakobe Dean and these linebackers, they play downhill. They play so sure damn fast. Yes. You've got to do some things or try to do some things to at least make them respect some other things uh, for this Florida offense to have a chance. How about some wild scenarios for down the road potentially? What about Manny Diaz to Florida as the next defensive coordinator if he uh, – if he doesn't survive this offseason as the Miami head coach. Well, that's his strength. Um, and, and frankly, uh, Miami is really not going anywhere at this point. Uh, as a matter of fact, in doing some doing some reading about them this morning, uh, there was talk about uh, what about uh, Miami getting another D coordinator. Well, the truth of the matter is your head coach is your D coordinator. <laughs> and, and, and that that's supposedly what he does best. So uh, to back up your point, it looks like, and they don't like it, but it looks like that this is not work. Uh, Rhett Lashley, frankly, has been their best uh, coach on that staff at, at this point. So uh, it, in, in looking and listening to some Miami beat writers trail, it looks like there will be a there will be a position open at head coach there at the end of the year. Yeah, Manny Manny was with Mullen twice. I, I want to say that's at right. Mississippi State. So that's where yeah. that sort of that's where that sort of comes from. If Todd Grantham is out, here's another crazy one for you. If Dan Mullen doesn't survive this season. What about Dan reuniting with Urban in Jacksonville as the <laughs> offensive coordinator for the Jags? How about that, Brett? Let's get crazy. Let's get crazy oh, yeah. on this Halloween weekend. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, uh, Trev, what would that do for uh, <laughs> a, uh, anti uh, any anti-Gator fans out in the uh, oh, wow. area, too? So Go ahead and get the band all the way back together. Oh, yeah, Jacks, yeah. And, 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 and by the way, one thing about this game that I don't have not heard much talk about, and I know you've caught this, too. Trev, you, you remember the, uh, the, the Arkansas game against Georgia? The Hogs got themselves in trouble early with pre-snap problems and also some kicking game woes, and they ended up like inside their ten-yard line on their first two drives. Mm-hmm. And against the against that defense, that's the last thing you want to do is limit your offense and have them be extra careful. So, uh, Trev, I think it's I think it's gargantuan that Florida does not do something boneheaded early on and, in, and end up in the shadow of their goal line against this uh, dog defense. You talk about what a difference a year makes. Florida put 38 on Georgia in the first half right. a year ago. I mean, that's not even – you can't even imagine that with this Georgia defense that we've seen this year, but that was certainly the case a year ago in Jacksonville. Yeah, look, Florida at this point doesn't have anything to lose, but the other side of that is you start to wonder about the level of engagement where preparation is concerned. Yeah, yes. You know, you hear that all the time. Well, you know, this team doesn't have anything to lose. Well, you know what? That mindset can also creep into your 
again, your preparation and your attention to detail. And this is a Florida team that certainly hasn't done enough of that. Didn't do enough of that when it had everything to lose. No, so no. why are we to think a sudden turnaround is coming uh, in that regard? You've got Ole Miss at Auburn on Saturday night. Lane on the plane. <laughs> Lane Kiffin and the Rebels headed to Jordan-Hare Stadium. That's a 7 Eastern kickoff uh, primetime prime time matchup. So we look forward to that one. Uh, that will air on ESPN in case you're wondering. Uh, Auburn uh, coming off a uh, bye week, right? And That's so right. you've got Ole Miss coming off a home win, the Manning weekend, as it was known in Oxford. The Rebels taking out. LSU. This sort of goes back to what we talked about earlier in the week, Brent, with this round robin with Ole Miss and yes. Auburn and Texas A&M unfolding here in the next month. Auburn has won the last five meetings in this series, which kind of reminded me of that. Trev, you remember Auburn and Arkansas? Uh, they had Auburn now over Arkansas has won about six in a row. Uh, they would do the same thing with Ole Miss if they win this game. The now. One thing that that really caught my eye in looking at this game this week is Ole Miss, with all their weapons and all that eye candy that they've got, that their offense has given up just four turnovers in five games, and Auburn's defense does not take a lot of uh, – they don't have a lot of takeaways at, at this point – that that as much as moving the ball up and down the field, uh, that that may be as impressive to me as anything Ole Miss has done. What a what that's a real change and a real improvement that Lane's done for this football team. It really is. It really is. And so you look at Auburn. Bo Nix has been very very good in his last couple of road starts. Uh, had a tough one, like a lot of teams that have gone against that Georgia defense uh, the last time we saw the Tigers at home. Um, so what are you anticipating here? What are a key or two for Ole Miss? I think as much as we're going to talk about the quarterbacks, as we do, it seems like, on a weekly basis in this league, you could just as easily look at the running back position for both Absolutely. these teams. Well, and Trev, my thing is, and and I heard some Auburn beat writers talk about this this week, is will the will the Auburn running backs uh, would take Bigsby and Jack Jack West Hunter, who I think you and I are as impressed with Hunter as we are with Bigsby this year. And, and look, the problem is Bigsby's only had like less than 200 yards in the last four games. So even the Auburn beat writers are questioning. Uh, is is there too much with Bo Nix uh, instead of using more of the weapons that they've got uh, with Bigsby and Hunter? And, and I, I think they could have a real key for this game. Yeah, I think the inconsistency where that Auburn offensive line is concerned has as much to do with perhaps not knowing week to week what you're going to yeah. get out of Tank Bigsby. That being said, you're right about Hunter. This is a guy that's averaging 8.6 per carry uh, on 57 totes. Uh, so I, I would almost side with thinking that Hunter might be the guy this week mm-hmm. that sort of not carries the load, but in terms of explosive play potential, that's the guy I would be looking at far more than, say, Tank Bigsby of the two. Ole Miss, meanwhile, the running backs of their own, Snoop Connor. 
Henry Paris Jr., Jerry and Ely, a lot that they can get done, not only handing those guys the football, but we know as receivers as well. And we talk about receivers, and that's where there could be the separation in this game. When you look at what Ole Miss is able to get out of Ontario Drummond, you know, got some other guys. Again, the backs are very involved in that passing game as well. They'll utilize the tight ends to an extent. Demetrius Robertson has been better than I think anybody could have imagined for Auburn yes. in the receiving game, probably more so out of necessity given the losses for Auburn from last year's unit. But maybe that's where it comes on Saturday night. The ability of Matt Corral and the dependability that he has with his guys. And, you know, Nick still has to go backyard football a good bit yeah. with this offense. Right. Yeah, and that's a problem, too. But I'll say this. Nick said this week, and I thought this was interesting, uh, he was asked why he's playing better, and he said that his footwork is better. And he, he said, uh, and people forget Mike Bobo is there now, he said, Coach Bobo tells me all the time, your feet tell a story. So, uh, and, and Trav, we talked about this in the Georgia game, and, and again, I give Rick Neuhausel credit for this. Rick saw that Nick's is, he, his tempo is a lot faster than what his receivers were also trying to do. So, so my question for us is, Trav, are they, are they the point where maybe the game is slowed down for Bo and he is more in line now with his offensive line and his receivers than he was, say, in September? Could be, you know, because it is a new group of receivers. Seth Williams moves on. Mm-hmm. Anthony Schwartz moves on. So definitely when you talk about a familiarity there, I'm sure Bo had worked with those guys, the returning guys anyway, to some extent. But a game was faster when you had Schwartz and you had sure Seth Williams. So definitely, and a different kind of offense altogether that you're working in. Couple, I'll say this too, defensively in this game, you've got a couple of three guys with an emphasis on the edge. Sam Williams mm-hmm. for Ole Miss, uh, Colby Wooden, yes, also for Auburn. You got a couple of potential game wreckers off the edge in this game to keep an eye on as well. Now, listen, Kobe Trav, by the end of the year, I mean, he may be on the all-SEC team. He, uh, he, is, he is the real deal. He is a dude. Uh, there, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And I, I know we touched on this the other day, but with well, with a lot of these coaching things going on and uh, in, in some early movement, um, uh, you've got Jeff Lebby, that Ole Miss offensive coordinator, who probably does get a lot of credit because he's in Lane Shadow being mentioned for this Texas Tech job. And does he get some uh, some possibilities elsewhere? Uh, Trav, does, does, Le- does Lebby get uh, uh, at least some of the praise that he ought to for what he's done with his offense too? I got to think Texas Tech definitely gives him a look. Understanding that Art Bryles is radioactive, uh, can't yes. touch the guy. No, no, no. But no. you could hire his son-in-law, and that's yeah. Jeff Levy. That's right. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. Jeff, they Levy. probably don't. Son-in-law of Art Bryles, brother-in-law of Kendall Bryles, 
the offensive coordinator. Maybe Kendall Browse ends up in that mix as well out at Texas Tech. And you're right. When it comes to that Ole Miss offense, it's still largely considered to be the brainchild of Lane Kiffin. But there's no doubt in terms of tempo and, and some of those things that they do from a pace perspective, especially even in the run game. Um, it, it's It's got a heavy, heavy Art Bryles influence to it. So uh, very interested in that matchup Saturday night on the Plains, ESPN 7 o'clock. Ole Miss and Auburn, two top 20 teams getting together there at Jordan-Hare. Also at 7 Eastern on Saturday night, kind of an under-the-radar stealthly game that has the chance to be very, very good. This one on the SEC Network when Kentucky at 6-1, and 4-1 and one in the SEC. You can say, well, they've got the loss to Georgia. They're pretty much out of the mix. We're an SEC Eastern Division title. Uh, is concerned. Still a ton to play for for this Kentucky team. And, you know, Mississippi State, I would say as much as anything, this is a chance for some validation this season in terms of, you know, obviously the win over Texas A&M looks good right now. Uh, after the Aggies have sort of found themselves. But another chance for Mike Leach at home to get a win over a team that, you know, top 12 team in the country right now in the Kentucky Wildcats. Well, interesting, uh, Will Levis, a quarterback for Kentucky, and the job that uh, Will Rogers has done at Mississippi State. Oh, yeah, I think this is uh, a really important game going on here uh, and now for uh, Kentucky what's interesting too they've got Mississippi State and then next week they've got a, a an intriguing game with Tennessee not only with the rivalry but what you and I saw Tennessee in person that's a much better football team at this point too my Trev my question is will that will that Kentucky defense that frankly has played fairly well well what what are they going to do to limit um, uh, the uh, this th- this short passing game that Leach loves? That it that frankly is is what he does for a running game. I still wonder by the end of the year could the, could they have more of a conventional running game, and how will that help that passing game, especially going into not just this year but but, but next year? Yeah, another matchup big on running backs just different in how they're going to be emphasized on Saturday night in Starkville with Dylan Johnson and Jaquavius Marks from the state perspective, catching the football as an extension, as you said, of that state run game that isn't existent all that much. And then from the Kentucky side of things, uh, Christian Rodriguez, Cavassier Smoke running the football. So, you know, we talk about potential defensive coordinator candidates for Dan Mullen, potentially, if assuming he's still at Florida for the 2022 season. I'll tell you who I'd go after. I'd go after Zach Arnett of Mississippi oh, yeah. State. Absolutely. If I was Dan Mullen or any of the sort of upper echelon SEC teams that might be in the market for a defensive coordinator, Zach Arnett, to me, continues to be sort of that under – valued guy from an assistant coach perspective in the league that uh like a like a young Dave Aranda is kind of the the way I, I view Zach Arnett. 
that's a really good comparison uh, uh, with what Aranda has done, particularly at Baylor. Uh, listen, his name's already mentioned, Travis for LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is and I tell you, I tell you also on on the on the other side, Liam Cohen has really done a tremendous job for that Kentucky offense and blending all those guys uh, together. Frankly, and 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 our guy uh, Rodriguez at running back. Uh, now look, there'll be there there'll be other guys and and they deserve it. And Ryan Robinson, uh, some of the Georgia backs the Florida running back room. But I'll tell you, Trav, uh, 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 they will be the, the voters will be doing a real disservice if Rodriguez is not either first or second team SEC by the end of the year. That's my guy. That's my guy, big Christian Rodriguez guy. And I think in this game specifically, Brent, it will probably fall to the Mississippi State defense to get the job done because I think Kentucky defensively, is going to cause some problems for Mississippi State, uh, more so at the line of scrimmage. And probably you're going to see Mark Stoops take some of the blitz plan that you saw Alabama employ against State a couple weeks ago and and do some of the same things. And so Will Rogers, I think, is going to have to show that it's tough for Will Rogers because he's going to see some zone, which means he's going to have to be patient, which he hasn't always been had problems with it against LSU, had problems with it in terms of turning the football over against Alabama and some of those concepts. And then at the same time, when it isn't zone, it seems like he gets seven guys, six, seven guys on blitzes. So uh, for for Will Rogers, I mean, it's a quarterback-centric offense. We understand that. So much is going to be on his shoulders Saturday night. Uh, well, and this is something to uh, consider also about this Kentucky team. Trev, they've got Mississippi State this week, and they've got Tennessee next week. And after that, they've got Bandy, New Mexico State, and Louisville. Trev, they've got listen. They've got five very winnable football games, and, and I, I, I know we probably mention this every podcast, but it but but it's worth. Uh, it's worth repeating. I mean, you're looking at a, a very possibly a Kentucky team, and, and I know we've talked a lot about uh, Auburn or A&M or Ole Miss running the table. People forget uh, with this schedule, Kentucky, I'm not going to say very easily, but but Kentucky really could end up being 11-1, and one, and that's just amazing to me. Yeah. No doubt about it. New Year's Six Bowl, potentially, I would say, in that scenario, almost for sure. Absolutely. If you're Kentucky. What could hurt Kentucky is if Alabama goes, say, 11-2, and two, loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game and doesn't make the college football playoff. Right. Yeah, and then you're in a situation with Alabama and potentially or Kentucky. Maybe you get both. Who knows? But a lot still to play out from that regard. You know, talk about teams on bye weeks, and LSU is among those. But what about the comments from Ed Orgeron on Wednesday (laughs) that they don't have enough damn players to scrimmage right now? You know, look, I appreciate the transparency, and I understand O's always pretty much been that way, and especially now that he's on the way out. Yes. But I don't I don't know if I would have broadcast that. No. You know, that, no. that that's where we're at in terms of and I understand they've had injuries, they've had guys that, you know, have essentially shut it down for the season. But man, I mean, Brent, just to go from 
where that program was less than two years ago. And now less than two years later, Alabama LSU is relegated to or status in terms of the television for November the 6th. I mean, how does this happen? It's amazing. But it's indicative of uh, of old not being able to hold that team together. LSU after. sent tickets back for <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> absolutely. And, and we're absolutely. You can go on the Alabama <laughs> website right now and buy Alabama LSU tickets. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, well, I mean, that's less than two years later. Uh, which is amazing. And, and by the way, the individual face value tickets for that game, Trev, I think it's like, help me on this. Oh, yeah. Premium. It's like, one, it's like 150 a piece. Yeah, they keep like going that. up. But, it's but crazy. Here, here's, my, here's my question about LSU. And this is my same question about, about Florida and Georgia. If people, if people are wondering how much effort Florida is going to give. But, 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 but I'm, I'm going with this with LSU. Now, some of these guys who were kind of on the fence with, with these injuries. I had this discussion the other day. Will, well, or, will someone be whispering uh, in some of these LSU players' ear that they really need to get on the field against Alabama to have that, nope. tape, have that tape for the NFL? Nope. <laughs> Derek Stingley Jr. basically gave LSU one season. Yeah. He, yeah. he will have been there three years. And I understand, look, no fault of his own in some of those situations with injuries, whatever. But LSU is basically going to get one year out of Derek Stingley Jr. That's right. Absolutely. His true freshman season when he was tremendous, not so much as a sophomore, really nothing as a junior. And yet I still see mock drafts where he's a top 10 pick. Yeah, so what's absolutely. his motivation? What's sure. his motivation right now? None, even if it was possible. You know, there's no motivation for these guys. And now it's become the culture of LSU football, more so than winning a national championship, winning SEC championships. It's been, well, I'm good. And that's pretty much going to do it. And, and, and for the next guy who comes along, Trav, isn't isn't the the, the obviously recruiting, uh, mm-hmm. building a staff and so forth, but but to, to your point, how important is it going to be to rebuild that culture there uh, to to make these guys uh, and input into them that that like what Nick Saban has done in Alabama that we let's finish what we started uh, and, and that way you'll have all the tape you want, but instead of this. Uh, absolutely. We're playing one year and basically three. How important is it going to be to change those minds? Yeah, it's it's going to be the biggest part of that of that rebuild. I think accumulate you know talent acquisition will take care of itself. It's still LSU, absolutely. Um, but developing that culture on a day to day basis that you know th- this is about winning championships at this place Uh, and certainly your individual development and how you are able to achieve your goals and your dreams Mm -hmm. uh, as a residual effect of the program success of the team success. Yeah. That's going to be the, uh, the central piece for that one moving forward. Well, Brent, I think we just about covered it. You got anything else for us before we get out of here? 
Well, just a quick look at next week. Uh, we, we mentioned Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Auburn at A&M. Uh, in that trio of games that we've talked about, uh, Tennessee and Kentucky, and that that all oh, that fascinating game trap with Hugh Freeze coming back to Oxford <laughs> <laughs> and Malik Willis coming back to the Absolutely. SEC West, the former Auburn quarterback who used to talk about mock drafts. You're seeing Malik Willis right yeah. now as the yeah. number yeah. one quarterback for the 2022 NFL draft. Wow. Uh, and and uh, uh, last point here, um, and you know this will happen, but I'm I'm guessing Hugh's not real excited about all the all these uh, uh, incidents in the past being drug up uh, as to as to connect the dots between Ole Miss and Liberty next week. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think. Yeah, you know, there's part of Hugh that loves it though. Kind of, Hugh's got some Lane Kiffin in him. Yeah, he does. I mean, does. He, he he yeah. loves the attention now. He, yes. Maybe not the kind he's going to get coming back to the to Oxford, but um, yeah, he'll be certainly in the in the news cycle, uh, no doubt about that. Well, Brent, again, appreciate it. Look forward to doing it again next week when we review a fun weekend of college football. Certainly headlined by Florida and Georgia and Jacksonville, but we'll recap all the action early next week when we join you right here on Second Helping, your first choice among podcasts relative to the top league in all of collegiate athletics. That being, of course, the Southeastern Conference. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the pod? Leave us a rating and a review if you don't mind. That would help us out greatly, and we would certainly appreciate it. If you did that for us, Brent, talk to you next week. Look forward to it, pal. Take care. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here on Second Helping. Have a great and safe Halloween weekend, everybody. And we'll get back together right here on the pod real soon.